So oftentimes people recover within six to 12 months of a car accident injury, and we can present a claim that's somewhat of a finite value. We know the person was hurt for six to 12 months. So it's up to a jury or a judge to determine, well, what is six to 12 months of pain and suffering work? And I would suggest to you there's no scientific formula for that. Some juries will give large awards for a case with six to 12 months of injury. Other juries will not. When you hear about someone getting a $300,000, $500,000, million dollar recovery, that is a result of a lifetime of pain and suffering and disability. So those kinds of claims, applying the measure of damages, the law we have in Maryland, if you're 30 years old and you're gonna to live to be about 78, you've now got 48 years of pain and suffering if you have a permanent injury. So if a jury just gave you $10,000 a year for your pain and suffering, you're near a half a million dollars in pain and suffering. Good afternoon and welcome to Everyday Law. I am your host, Bob Clark. At the request of a variety of our listeners, we are returning to some of the basics that underpin the show from the start. Today, it's the nuts and bolts of Maryland personal injury law with a longtime trial lawyer expert, Alan Steinhorn. Welcome back to the program, Alan. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. As always, any of the opinions that are offered on this show are not those of Howard County Community College, its faculty, staff, students, or employees, and none of the discussion is intended to be legal advice. If you have an individual legal situation, it's imperative that you reach out to a lawyer and marshal your facts and make sure that you can get the best advice possible. And with that caveat, we will be talking about some of the basics of what happens if you're injured in Maryland and you want to make a claim. Probably the most fundamental sort of injury case that I've seen in my practice and I think most lawyers in Maryland see our automobile accident cases. And I'd like to kind of go through, Alan, things that you need to be aware of that might not make sense in the moment after you've been in a crash. Is that okay? Sure. All right. So I'm in a crash. Somebody runs the light and hits my vehicle. What's the first thing I should do? Well, the first thing you should do is make sure you and your passengers are safe. Okay. So when an accident happens, most people are somewhat in shock having gone through this. And depending on the severity, you might be in a position where an ambulance is coming to help you. Police officers will arrive at the scene. But typically, the most important thing for you to do at first is to make sure you and your occupants are safe. When you've determined it's safe, then you can get out of the car and you'll need to exchange information with the at-fault driver. If you can't get out of the car, if you're injured, you need to wait for help. So I'm at the scene. My passengers are okay. I may be a little bit banged up. I determine that I'm not in further peril from another crash. Should I be the one calling 911? Should I wait for someone else to? Should I be the one calling an ambulance? How would you recommend people typically proceed? I would recommend you call 911 okay. and get a police officer to the scene to investigate and to record what has happened because sometimes people change their stories after they leave an accident scene. So you might be stopped at a red light and a car crashes into the rear of you. The driver gets out of the car, asks if you're okay, and then apologizes and said, I'm sorry, I didn't see the light was red, I wasn't paying attention. And you think that's the end of your case. However, oftentimes when people leave the scene of an accident, if they've caused it, they have concerns about their premiums going up, about losing their license, about having tickets that could give them points that would cause their premiums to go up. Even if they've had prior accidents, maybe lose their license if they have too many points. So sometimes people will change their stories after they leave the scene. So it's very important that you have a police officer come to the scene and record what the at-fault driver says. You should attend to your medical needs 
as soon as possible. Most people get an adrenaline rush when they're in a car accident. And I have seen this, I can't tell you how many times people suffer serious injuries but refuse medical treatment at the scene. If you think you need medical treatment, I recommend you get it. Many times people are in shock. The adrenaline prevents them from fairly analyzing what's going on with their bodies. But you should be seen by a medical care professional if you are experiencing pain. You want to get the information from the at-fault driver. Sometimes people develop muscle spasm in the hours after an accident. When they're at the scene, they think they're okay, but then they get home an hour or two later, they have a very stiff neck, a very painful back, and they seek medical care. So you want to make sure that you get the name, the address, the driver's license number, and most importantly, the insurance company and its policy number from the at-fault driver. Now, if you've been in a really bad crash, you might be taken by ambulance to the scene. You won't have that information. The police officer should provide you his card with the police report number so that after you are taken from the scene by ambulance to a hospital, you can contact the at-fault driver's insurance company. That's not something you're going to be thinking about when the accident first happens and you're hurt, but you will need to get that information. Oftentimes, people are unconscious, people are very badly hurt. The police officer should give you that information at the scene. Once you have taken care of yourself, you've attended to your medical needs, you're going to find out that your car was probably towed from the scene somewhere. So you want the police officer's information so you know where your car is towed. One of the things that injury lawyers can do for people is they access all the appropriate insurance companies' information and coverages to get you the relief you need. So a personal injury lawyer is someone that represents people and not corporations. Most people that are in car accidents don't have lawyers on retainer. Many people worry, if I get a lawyer, how am I going to pay for that? And lawyers are very expensive. But the thing about a personal injury case is a lawyer does not get paid until he recovers for the client. So one of the benefits to having a lawyer is that you can focus on your medical needs while the lawyer focuses on your legal rights. And the way that our system of justice is set up in Maryland is we can obtain financial compensation for you when someone negligently causes you injury. So there's an interplay between the different insurance companies. Hopefully, you'll have enough coverage so that if you're in a car accident, you will have health insurance and you will have PIP or MedPay insurance, and hopefully you'll have collision and comprehensive insurance on your car. The PIP insurance is something a lawyer can help you with. Most cars have up to $2,500 in PIP, and you can buy a MedPay policy that pays you more than that. PIP is an acronym that stands for Personal Injury Protection Benefits. About 15 years ago, every car in Maryland had personal injury protection benefits coverage of at least $2,500 in it. And what that coverage did is it provided you health insurance and lost wage disability insurance if you're in a car accident. So if you're in a car accident, you want to know about your PIP insurance. Most people have it, but you can waive it. When you buy your insurance coverage, you can tell your carrier, I don't want this coverage. I'd rather not pay $75 a year and have the coverage. I urge everyone to buy this coverage. It covers everyone in your car if you're in a car accident and you're injured. Additionally, many people don't have enough sick leave or annual leave. You can use your PIP coverage to pay lost wages if you're medically unable to work. You may have health insurance. There's an interplay between an at-fault injury claim and your health insurance. So most health insurance contracts require its insured, its patients, to repay them for the medical bills the health insurance paid if they recover from an at-fault insurance company. But there's a big benefit, and this is where lawyers can help you, 
there's a big benefit to using your health insurance. Most health insurance companies have subscriber agreements with the hospitals and the doctors in the area. So if you have a $5,000 bill over the period of six months, your health insurance might only pay 3000 of it. So if you have to pay the health insurance back, it's a lot better to pay $3,000 out of your recovery than have to pay the full $5,000 in medical bills. So there are things that lawyers can do to maximize your compensation and recovery for the losses that you incur for medical bills, for lost wages, and perhaps the most important is pain and suffering. Those damages are in addition to the medical bills and lost wages you incur, and it's usually something insurance companies don't tell you about. They don't want you to know that you have an entitlement under Maryland law to an award for pain and suffering, depending on how severe your injury is. If you have a permanent injury, those awards can go into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's important to have a lawyer who can explain to you what you actually have in your case and what you can expect an insurance company to do for you. Additionally, an injury lawyer will investigate your claim. They will analyze the accident and tell you, do I have a claim? Is it worth me pursuing? If you have a car accident and you're not badly hurt, and maybe you go to your family doctor one time and the doctor says you appear okay and you're fine after a week or two, well, maybe you don't need a lawyer. It would be helpful to talk to one, and our office often gives free advice to people that call and say, you know, I really wasn't badly hurt. The insurance company's fixing my car. What should I do about this bill? And we'll talk you through it. But if you have an injury case, or an injury, I should say, where you're getting treatment over a period of months, you will probably benefit from having a lawyer help you and explain to you the best way to maximize your recovery. So you, you mentioned earlier that lawyers don't get paid like a retainer or something in these things. What do they get paid and when do they get paid it? Well, that's a question that we often get. People are reluctant to hire our law firm for fear that they're going to get a big legal bill. But one of the things about injury cases is that they are done on a contingency fee basis. And a contingency fee is one in which the lawyer does not get paid unless he recovers money for you. A typical retainer in the injury field in Maryland would provide that one-third of the recovery from the at-fault driver's insurance company would be the legal fee. So most lawyers that get paid on contingency basis must evaluate every case and know they're going to recover because no one likes to work for six months or a year or two years on a case and not get paid. So the best trial lawyers pick the best cases. If there's a case where your driver is at fault, it's not of any benefit to the client for you to pursue that case because they're going to be very disappointed at the end of the claims process or at the end of the litigation process if you file a lawsuit when they lose their case. So you want to be sure that you have a case that has clear liability, or not clear liability, but liability with either witnesses or an admission from the at-fault driver. There are some cases or some accidents where there are multiple cars involved. And that is another time you will probably need a lawyer because if there are multiple cars involved, oftentimes each driver says it's the other driver's fault, in which case the at-fault insurance companies don't make offers of settlement and you're often left with filing a lawsuit to determine which of the drivers is at fault. You're going to need an injury lawyer to do that. The one benefit that lawyers have over individuals is we can file lawsuits. And that's the leverage that you have over an at-fault driver's insurance company. They don't want to pay ten dollars or $20,000 to a law firm to defend a loser case. On the other hand, and this is probably the most important thing I'll say thus far, even though I've rambled for quite a while, you need to have a lawyer 
tell you what the value of your case is and to fight the insurance company's tactics because insurance companies are not there to help you. And we've had many occasions, I guess I'm beginning my 38th year of doing this, Bob, I know you've experienced this before, where a caller calls up and says, well, I spoke to the insurance company and they seemed really nice. They told me they'll take care of all my out-of-pocket expenses. When I told them I had health insurance and I was paying co-pays, they said, we're going to take care of you. We'll pay all your co-pays. That's not what the law provides. So a person that is dealing with an insurance company and trusting that they're going to take care of them is misinformed because the insurance company for the at-fault driver has a duty to its shareholders and to its driver. It has no duty to the victim of that negligence. So think about this for a second. If you're talking with a claims representative for an at-fault insurance company, will you cooperate if they say to you at the very beginning, hi, I'm Joe Smith, I'm from Nationwide, we're not going to pay you as much money as your claim is worth, we're going to do everything we can to deprive you of what you're legally entitled to, now let's talk. You're really not going to be cooperative. But if they say to you, we're really sorry what happened, we feel terrible, our driver feels terrible, we want to make it right, let us know what your copays are. Oh, I'm paying $20 each copay. All right, we'll send you $100 for your five doctor's visits. Well, then you get physical therapy, and you're in physical therapy, and they say, you know what, we feel terrible, here's $2,500, just sign this paper for us. Well, if you sign that paper, it's called a release agreement, you can never re recover any more money for your injury. So a lawyer can explain to you you need to finish treating with your doctors. You need to know the full extent of your injury before you take any money from an insurance company. Unless it's your own insurance company, you can take your PIP benefits, your MedBay benefits, your health insurance benefits. If you have disability at work, you can take your disability insurance policy. But you don't take a settlement from an at-fault insurance company because they're going to make you sign a release form. Another thing people tend to think is that insurance companies are going to take care of them. So I was out of work for six weeks. I lost $6,000 in lost wages. I treated with my doctors for six months, and they said that the problem I have will never go away. Well, you're now entitled to the full six months of medical care and treatment. You're entitled to all the lost wages, irrespective of whether you've gotten health insurance, irrespective of whether your employer gave you leave. You are entitled to recovery of those monies. Additionally, the measure of damages in Maryland, as well as across the country, would allow pain, suffering, inconvenience, and anguish damages. So oftentimes, people recover within 6 to 12 months of a car accident injury, and we can present a claim that's somewhat of a finite value. We know the person was hurt for 6 to 12 months. So it's up to a jury or a judge to determine, well, what is 6 to 12 months of pain and suffering work? And I would suggest to you there's no scientific formula for that. Some juries will give large awards for a case with 6 to 12 months of injury. Other juries will not. When you hear about someone getting a $300,000, $500,000, million recovery, that is a result of a lifetime of pain and suffering and disability. So those kinds of claims, applying the measure of damages, the law we have in Maryland, if you're 30 years old and you're going to live to be about 78, You've now got 48 years of pain and suffering if you have a permanent injury. So if a jury just gave you $10,000 a year for your pain and suffering, you're near a, a half a million dollars in pain and suffering. So people are limited by the length of their injury. People are limited by the cost of their medical care. And really, you don't want to have a personal injury lawyer ever tell you you have a great case because everybody wants to have their health and not their money. So hopefully you will recover fully, but you will have to navigate 
health insurance, health insurance liens, PIP insurance, MedPay insurance, property damage insurance, and at-fault third-party claims. That doesn't even take into account underinsured motorist coverage, which is another kinds of insurance coverage that you need to be aware of in case the at-fault driver doesn't have enough insurance coverage and you have a substantial, serious, permanent injury. So most people don't know the interplay of all the different insurance coverages. At our firm, both of the lawyers are previous insurance company lawyers. Early in my career, I was Geico's house counsel and defended cases in Maryland and the District of Columbia. I know that you also defended cases in Maryland and the District of Columbia for several insurance companies. What that did for us, and I'll speak for myself, but I know you and I have talked about this before, is we have insight into what insurance companies are looking for. I began practice after working for two judges prior to going to private practice. I went to work for a prominent personal injury firm in the District of Columbia that also had a Maryland office. There are some lawyers that believe that being very aggressive with insurance companies leads to better outcomes. That is one style. There's also a style of thought that by cooperating with an insurance company, not giving up any of your rights, but letting them see all your medical records, letting them answer or answering questions for them, well, we have an indication that you had a prior injury. I mean, one thing everybody needs to know is insurance companies aren't stupid. They spend hundreds of millions of dollars every year on claims. So they spend a lot of money defending claims and figuring out the best ways to defeat or diminish your claim. So one of the things that people need to understand is there's something called the BI index. It's a computer system where every time you make an accident claim, it is entered into the BI index. So when you have a car accident, and you present a claim to State Farm, State Farm knows that seven years ago you settled a case with Nationwide. They know that 14 years ago you had a case with Geico, and they'll look at it and say, oh, this is a big settlement. What parts of the body were injured? So you can lose a case by concealing information that doesn't hurt your case, but oftentimes people think, well, they don't need to know that I had a herniated disc 10 years ago. I mean, I did okay with that. But if they know it from the BI index and you're concealing it and denying you've had this prior injury, they may not negotiate with you the same way as if you said, yeah, I had this injury 10 years ago, but I recovered from it. So you counsel transparency. I do. There are different styles of lawyering in injury cases. My experience with the claims reps at Geico uniformly suggested to me that when you hide stuff from them, they're going to learn it eventually. And if you're hiding stuff and they learn about it, then they don't have trust in you as a lawyer, and they may give you lower offers. So I've had cases, in fact, I was in the circuit court for Montgomery County last week where I did this. I have had cases where I've allowed insurance company claims reps to talk to my clients at a settlement conference, and that's what we did last week. No notes, no recordings, but just talk to my client and get a feel for what she's been through so that you can determine whether you think a jury is going to award a large award. Because most insurance companies will be extremely cheap with their offers. And there's a variety of reasons for this, the most important being that they're trying to save money for their companies. But the reality is that many claims reps have handled thousands and thousands of cases. And along the lines, one of those claims rep may have come into a fraud case someone that had a prior injury and is now exaggerating their current injury when in fact they had a previous injury, or someone who has recovered from their injury but is telling their doctors they have not. If a claims rep has experienced a fraud claim and didn't know it at first, then the good claims in the future to that claims rep 
could look like a fraud claim. So they may ask you for information that you're like, well, why do they need this? You can deny providing that information. But most of the claims reps I've spoken to when I worked for, when I was house counsel for GEICO said to me, if you don't provide information we request, we assume it hurts your case. So there's a lot of strategic decisions that lawyers make about what to provide the at-fault insurance company. But it is without saying you provide them everything arising from your accident injury. You want them to have all the medical records from the day that you were taken to the hospital or the day you went to your doctor until the day you're discharged. I also provide records if I am asked for a prior injury. And many lawyers don't do that, but my experience has been that when I'm transparent, I'm much more likely to get a fair offer for my client than if I'm hiding things that they're going to find out anyway. I mean, let's think this through. What happens if you don't settle your case with an insurance company? You go to trial. You're going to have a lawsuit. And during that lawsuit, the defense lawyer will request documents from you. They will ask questions of you in something called interrogatories where you have answers to questions that you have to swear under oath and under the penalties of perjury, they're true and correct, they will conduct a deposition of you. So ultimately, they're going to find out that information. Secondly, let's think ethically what's going on here. If I were to deprive an insurance company of important medical information, perhaps my client is treating with a doctor and in the first record he says, patient is here having recovered from a car accident three years ago and was treated in this office. Well, it would be unethical to pull that record out and not send it to the insurance company because it shows a prior accident. There are some inexperienced lawyers that I encountered early in my career that did that. There was one lawyer I know that wouldn't send all the records. And I always thought that was a terrible thing to do because my currency with an insurance company is my ability to persuade them of the virtue of my client's case and that they trust me in the statements I make. If I am known as someone who is not truthful in every aspect of my dealings with an insurance company, they will not treat me the same way. So I think it was my father that once said to me, you only get a chance to make a first impression once. If you make that impression as someone who's concealing information or misleading a claims rep, they will remember it for the rest of your career. And you need a lawyer that the insurance companies trust, but who is aggressive and firm at fighting for your rights. You can be firm and cooperative. And that's something that Judge Robert Mason taught me. I clerked for a judge in the circuit court for Prince George's County, Robert Mason, who was thought to be one of the kindest judges on that bench. And I once asked him how you are able to persuade other attorneys to do what you need them to do if you're just going to be kind and polite. And he said, being kind and polite doesn't take away being firm with your position. They can sense when you're firm, but you don't have to be a jerk in dealing with other people. So let's take things back a little bit in the nuts and bolts manner. You're at the scene. You recommend calling 911 to get the police out there. How about something like taking pictures with your cell phone to show where the cars are before people move? That would be a very important thing to do if you can do it safely. Okay. So you do want pictures at the scene. It's a tough thing to talk about because you still want to be safe. You don't want to do anything that might aggravate an injury you have. But if you can snap some pictures, I mean, cell phones are ubiquitous. Everybody now has a cell phone camera in their pocket. So yes, you would need pictures. You could take a picture of the at-fault driver's license plate. We've had occasions where at-fault drivers don't want to exchange information with our clients, in which case you have to explain to them at the scene, this is a legal requirement. 
So if you have their tag and they leave the scene without giving you information, that's actually an offense in Maryland. Criminal offense? It is an offense. It's a violation in the transportation code. You can be prosecuted for it. You could, I believe, get some jail time if you fail to leave information at the scene of an injury accident. So next question, you haven't really had a chance to get a lawyer and you hear from the at-fault insurance company. Should you be talking to them before you've spoken to a lawyer? The best advice is to not talk to an insurance company before you've spoken to a lawyer. You can talk to your own company because they're on your side. Unless the at-fault driver does not have insurance, and then you have an uninsured motorist claim, and we can get into that in a moment or two, but that's the one time where your own insurance company becomes your enemy. If you have an uninsured motorist claim, and many people don't understand this, your insurance company steps into the shoes of the at-fault driver and asserts all of their defenses, which means the company that you're paying your premiums to is going to do everything in their power to defeat your claim. Do you find that there is some variability between insurance companies? Is Allstate different from Erie, is different from USA, is different from GEICO in terms of how they treat the injured people and how they treat their policyholders? In capital letters, yes. Okay. So one of the things that confused me as a young lawyer in private practice is I worked for a gentleman who ran his firm, and there were about six or seven lawyers. And I would go talk to him about certain cases to ask him whether he thought a settlement value was appropriate. And when I walked into his office, the first question was, who is the insurance company? And it confused me so much because the question should be, what's the case about? But not in his mind. In his mind, who's the insurance company? So there are certain companies that are notoriously bad at settling cases for their insureds. So let me give you just 30 seconds of backdrop. When you buy car insurance... What are you buying it for? Are you buying it to make sure that your insurance company protects you from lawsuits? Do you want to be hauled into court if you cause an accident? Or are you buying it to protect you from judgments that could bankrupt you? So if you have, and I'm going to name the companies, insurance with USAA or Erie, and you have an accident, USAA and Erie will do everything they can to protect you from getting sued. But if your carrier is GEICO, or State Farm, or Nationwide, they don't care about you getting sued. They will put you through two years of a lawsuit, and then on the morning of trial, offer your policy limits to the plaintiff's attorney, and your case is settled. And they clap, hey, we protected you. Well, during those two years, you had trouble getting a loan for your mortgage because you've got a lawsuit pending against you. You may have had issues getting a car loan because you've got a lawsuit pending against stressful. you. Stressful. It is very stressful. So. While those insurance companies charge cheaper premiums, they will make very low settlement offers, almost encouraging the plaintiff's lawyers to file a lawsuit against you because they don't want to pay that much money. And what they have found, I'm sure, is in their computer systems, if they settle 10 to 20,000 cases a year, they know how many people will accept very low offers. There are many people that don't want to go to court. It's very stressful to go to court. Maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe you're involved in a divorce proceeding with your spouse. Maybe you're trying to adopt a child. And do you really want to go through a lawsuit where people, lawyers for the at-fault driver, can ask you very private and personal questions? Ms. Smith, you're claiming that you had a lot of anguish and pain and suffering. Let's explore other causes of anguish in your life. Isn't it true you're getting a divorce right now? Isn't it true you lost a job six months ago? Well, maybe that caused you anguish and stress. 
And you can bring in half a dozen family members who will tell the jury, well, this person was the happiest go lucky person before the accident. After they broke their leg and it didn't heal properly, they became very kind of depressed. They have trouble walking. Maybe it's a sister, an adult sister, and she's telling you that she has trouble now enjoying her life. Well, the insurance companies don't care about that. So they will give you a very low offer of settlement, and then you're about to go to court, and they've interviewed all of your witnesses, and they realize this is bad. This jury is going to award a large verdict. We better protect our insurance, so on the morning of trial, here's your policy limits. So it plays into something that you touched on earlier, and we don't have a great deal of time, but you were talking about how PIP insurance was compulsory in Maryland, mm -hmm. and the insurance industry has successfully gotten rid of that. And I guess the question is, you see these Liberty Mutual commercials only buy the insurance you need. And I talk to clients all the time who say, oh, I have full coverage, when what they mean is they have the minimum coverage available in Maryland. Where do you come down on that in your discussion of which insurance company to pick and what kind of coverage to get? Well, most of this is really financially based. You know, when I was 18 years old, I didn't have enough money to think about buying the best insurance coverage I could. So I shopped by price. And what the reality is, is that when you start acquiring assets, when you start having your own car, oh. when you get your first job, you have something to lose. When you're 18 and you're a you know, college student or you've just gotten your first job out of high school and you don't have any savings, if someone were to sue you for a car accident, it is not likely they're going to take your assets. You don't have any. I still urge people to get the most insurance coverage they can get. Your insurance coverage is to protect you. Most people think I have insurance coverage to protect someone I might hurt. But the reality is your insurance coverage protects you from lawsuits and it protects you from judgments. So if you don't get proper coverage and you're, say, 50 years old, you've raised a family, you own a home, maybe you have a condo in Ocean City at the beach, well, if you don't have enough insurance coverage and you accidentally run over someone in a crosswalk and they have a half-million-dollar case and you have a $50,000 insurance policy, a lawyer like me might say to my injured victim, you know, we did an asset check. This person owns a half million dollar home. They make 120000 a year. If you get an excess judgment, you will be able to garnish their wages. You will be able to take their third car. They have three cars. Now, it's not something that any plaintiff's lawyer enjoys doing, but our obligation is to our client, not to the at-fault driver. So if you are someone who has assets, it's extremely important that you have this coverage. Even if you don't have assets, it's important you have the coverage. But regardless, the reality is that many people, when they're starting off in life, don't have the money to go pay USAA for a top-line million-dollar policy. I regret to say that our time is up on this topic. It sounds as though we could cover it in nuances of it in greater detail next time, but very much appreciate your appearance today, Alan. Well, thank you for having me, Bob. This has been Everyday Law. Farewell. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.